We are in Hebrews, and this uh, morning, still in this, this chapter, chapter 11, that is often referred to as the Hall of Faith, looking at this idea of what faith is. And in, in, in this context of trusting in a God who has given us amazing promises, in this Easter season, in which we still are in the uh, church calendar, recognizing the power of the resurrection and finding hope there, I think it's helpful for us to remember that we just constantly, on some level, live by faith, trusting in other people that uh, often that we don't even know. So I think about my son flying out on Tuesday, quite a long flight. Uh, it's a long way down there. And uh, I, I'm fairly certain that nobody in here, I don't uh, know 100%, but I'm pretty sure that nobody in here is an aerospace engineer. Um, and And... Yet, uh, most people in here are happy to get on a plane and fly into the air over oceans, over land, uh, in, in ways that you don't know how to either make the plane. Uh, often, we don't know how it works. Uh, we couldn't tell if something were, were wrong. If it were wrong, we wouldn't know how to fix it. We're trusting other people. We're, we're trusting the engineers. We're trusting the, the pilots. Um, and, and we are moving forward on some level of faith to get on a plane, right? Trusting in other people. We do this in all kinds of ways. And I think what we, what we gather around each and every Sunday is this recognition that as we all live by faith, we're invited into something that uh, is the most significant thing in our lives. And it's, it's not putting faith in other people, and we do that all the time. It's putting our faith in our creator. And... Uh, as we look here at this idea of what that looks like, so we're just again and again fleshing out what faith looks like, what faith in Jesus looks like, what faith in our Lord looks like, to name it and recognize it is, uh, is incredibly helpful. Because oftentimes we don't really think about the faith. Like we don't think about getting on the plane and not knowing how it works, right? Like It's not a thought process that we regularly have. Uh, but we often don't think about it when it comes to issues of life, death. And our creator and who we are and meaning of life and all those kinds of things. And we're looking at those very issues here. And as we turn to this hall of faith section with a focus on Moses and the exodus, the the saving from slavery, we see two aspects of faith that are helpful for us to think about. I, I pray are helpful for us to think about. The fact that there is a passive faith or a passive part of our faith and an active part of our faith, an active experience of faith. So passive faith and active faith, uh, those are the two points that we're going to look at. Lord, we do pray that you would fill us with hope and faith in you and in your promises. We pray that you would do that even this morning in these few minutes, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. There is a passive faith. What do I mean by that? Because uh, that's not how we often think about it. Often we think about faith and we're like, I need more faith. I, my, my level of faith isn't enough. I, I need to grow it. It's not strong enough. This person has more faith than I have. That, that kind of thing. Um, I'll address some of those issues, how some of that's not that helpful. But there is a sense here in which we exceed this, this passive experience of faith. Moses is the central character here. He, he's the, the subject of, until the last few verses of this passage, he, he is the focus and everything that is happening, everything that he's doing is, we're reminded, is by faith. Actually, in these 11 verses, the, the term by faith occurs seven times. 
by faith, you know, by faith he did this, by faith, by faith. But the first verse in this section, verse 23, we see by faith when Moses was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So if we remember here, there was an edict up that the Israelites who were enslaved, they were growing and, and Pharaoh got scared, right? Uh, this is all Exodus 2 and following. And so the king puts forth, the Pharaoh puts forth this edict, all the male children of the Hebrews are to be killed. I mean, this is, this is to be, as a reminder, this seminal event of salvation, of freed from slavery, this is what they were being freed from, right? This is what Moses is a central character in freeing them from. But his parents hide him. And this is a pretty significant task, hiding a, a child. Uh, it's not easy to do, but this is what they do. But it, notice that the, the subject here, even though he experienced this passively, is Moses. Moses was hidden. And he is experiencing the blessing of the faith of his parents. This, this is, so sometimes we think this is a little bit, maybe a little bit of a surprise because we think about my, faith is all about me. Do I have enough faith? Am I acting in faith? All these kind of things. But we see that biblically there is this experience of faith that comes from being a part of something bigger, that we experience it through one another, that there's a corporate nature to faith. And here, very specifically, there is this familial experience of faith, the, the blessing of faith from his parents in this situation. Moses experiences that. The faith that, of his parents is having this immense impact on his life and, as a result, on all of redemptive history. We'll get to God's working that out uh, through his power and through his work. But this is really significant for us to think about. That we experience faith through one another. And sometimes that is through family, through nuclear family, through biological family. That's certainly happening here as he didn't really do anything as this child who is hidden. He's experiencing the faith of his parents. There's something to learn here. Throughout scripture, there is blessing that comes to parents and that then uh, goes on to generation to generation. God uh, cares for those uh, who have followed him in faith. We see that in Psalm 145, verse 4, one generation shall commend his works to another and declare his mighty acts. This is just built into the process. So even the going back to, to creation itself, be fruitful and multiply. We, we're, we're growing our family. We grow God's family. There's a sense in which some of that happens uh, in a very significant way in families. That is continually important. Now, there's continual recognition that brokenness happens there as well. But there's something significant to the experience of faith through our families. And so as parents, we're invited to, as we baptize our, our children uh, in church, we make these promises that we're going to raise our children in the truth of God's word and following after him. And those things are really important that we do. There, there's is value in that. There's, there's value for us to learn that as parents, that there's something significant going on, that our faith impacts the, the faith of our children. We, we can also, as children, recognize that we can learn from our parents and from their faith. There is, there is value in that. And, you know, as, as followers of Jesus, we, we would do well to uh, not fall into the pattern of our culture that says, you know, just let your kids choose from the wide range of ways of viewing the world. That's actually just one more way of viewing the world, right? 
um, that's not consistent with a lot of others. We as followers of Jesus would say, this is the truth that God has called us to. And it's beautiful and good. We remember the theme throughout Hebrews is that Jesus is better, better than anything else on offer. And we want to offer that to our kids. There is incredible value in that. But it doesn't only happen in our biological families. Again, brokenness happens in those places, for sure. We lament that, and we, we turn to God in the midst of that. But we find that we're invited into a new family. So it's God, Yahweh, the Lord, who is, he is regularly referred to in the Old Testament, the one who wants to be in relationship with his people. I will be your God. You will be my people. There is not, the way that he does that is through family. He invites us into his family. He calls us as sons and daughters, adopted into the family of God, of our creator. So we have this new family, the body of Christ, regularly described as a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. In the previous chapter, we saw this invitation to again and again be together, that this is this corporate thing. Let us hold fast, verse 24 of chapter 10, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We're in relationship, encouraging one another, not neglecting to meet together is the habit is as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Don't neglect being together with your brothers and sisters. Join together because we are sons and daughters of the King. This is what we're invited to, and we experience one another and our faith together. So, one example that uh, I've experienced multiple times is we experience difficulty, right? That's, remember, this is what the Hebrews are experiencing. It's not going well, and they're tempted to actually turn away from Jesus into other things. There's, there is this struggle that they are having, so we will have struggles. And there are many times that I have said to people uh, in the course of life with Jesus, and then I've actually heard people in this room say to other people, uh, let me hope for you. Let me trust for you in this time. Because there are times when we don't feel hope, right? Like we have struggles that are like what the Hebrews were experiencing. And so we hope and we have faith together. We strengthen one another. We encourage one another that this faith that we experience is something we have to do together. That's one of the ways in which it is. Uh, there's a sense of experiencing the faith of others. Could be our parents, could be other people in the church that, that is a passive nature of the faith. That it is a blessing to us even when we're struggling. But ultimately, the, the most significant part of the fact that it's passive is that it is the work of God in which we put our faith. It is not our own work. It is his. Christ, as we even hear this Old Testament story, this story from a millennia and a half before Christ, he is at the center. And, and we've seen this before. This has already been, been covered in Hebrews. We, we find it that Jesus himself says on the road to Emmaus, he opens the scripture which at that point is only the Old Testament, and he tells those disciples on the road to Emmaus, it's all about me, and here's how it's all about me. He is at the center of the Old and the New Testament, or the Old and the Older Testament. This really is the case, right? But it's all one story at which Jesus is the center, and we see that here in verse 26. This description of Moses, as he makes this decision to leave the riches of Pharaoh's house, and to go with the people who are enslaved, 
He says, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. We, we won't go into as much detail as we did last week about the future promises, that reward that is to come that Moses didn't experience. But we know that Moses did not have Christ. He didn't experience Christ himself. He didn't know the story of Jesus. He didn't even have some of the promises of the Christ to come that, that come in the Psalms, that come in the prophets. That was all to come still for him. And yet, he considered the reproach of Christ, that what he was experiencing, turning away from the riches of Egypt and turning to his people, that Christ was at the center of that. We, we see, even before we get to the life of Jesus, even in this passage, all the things that happen, they are the work of God that are ultimately fulfilled in Christ. But here they are the work of God. God is the one who is at work through the plans of Moses' parents to, to hide him, to put him, if, if we know the story, to put him, uh, to build this raft for him and, and send him down the river to then care for him as, uh, as midwives and maids almost. They were able to care for their own child in Pharaoh's house. I mean, just remarkable story of God working it for them, part of his plan. He's the one who guarantees the reward, verse 26. There's a clear picture that Moses isn't able to accomplish the reward himself. He's trusting in a God who is. God is the one who met Moses in the burning bush. This veiled reference to that in verse 27, seeing him who is invisible. This is this reference to, to God, I mean, to God showing himself, demonstrating himself, speaking to Moses. God is the one at work there. God is the one who provides for the life of all the firstborn children during the Passover that Moses trusts in in verse 28. God is the one who, as they escape Egypt and they cross through the Red Sea on dry land and the water is piled up beside them, God is the one who does that, not them. It's not like, oh, I'm having enough faith to hold up the water. No, they're having faith to trust that God is the one doing this. And God is the one who releases the water to protect the people from their enemy who would enslave them and want to kill all the male children, right? This is God's judgment and his justice, but he's the one who does it. He's the one who makes the walls of Jericho fall in verse 30. They, they are trusting God. There, there's this sense in which they're walking around. If we remember this story, they're, they're walking around this fortress that they don't have the power to conquer, this is this demonstrated act of faith, of prayer, and this dramatized prayer, essentially, uh, that they are trusting God. And God is the one who provides. God is the one who um, makes the walls fall. It is him constantly who is at work. He is the one who provides for Rahab against all cultural norms or expectations. He provides for this woman who provides for the spies. God is the one who is constantly at work. And so... Our faith, on some level, is passive because it is trusting in God's work that he does for us, that he's the one who brings salvation. So it's not, I've got to earn my salvation. I've got to do it. Even not, I've got to have enough faith. I've got to, I don't have enough faith. I've got to build more faith than this or that. It's, it's relying on the one who has done the work. That's what faith is. That's why there's this picture of it being passive. This picture, or this, it's helpful to use this Language. The question is, does, does God accept us or not? Do we have faith? And if we have faith, then he accepts us. He affirms us. He, he is 
um, supporting and caring and saving us. It's his work. We talked this morning in Sunday school, again, overlap almost every time. We talked about the parable of the talents. And Dan reminded us, we often think about the parable of the talents as like, do I do enough with what he's given me to get the, the affirmation? And, and the point of the, the, the parable is either you have faith and are trusting in him, no matter how many talents the servants have, there's either faith or there's not. And there's different levels of talents that they have, right? The question is, is there faith? And if there is, then the affirmation is the same. Well done, my good and faithful servant. He is the one who does the work. I've used this illustration before. Uh, it's helpful for me, so I'll use it again. Uh, Steph and I are going to go down to visit Patton uh, at the end of his time there. And so we're both going to be getting on the plane, and our first flight is from here to Miami. And if we go and we get on that plane, and Steph is confident, and she trusts and has faith in the plane and the pilot, uh, and I am terrified, and my knees are knocking because I'm not so sure uh, if we're going to make it or not, that difference doesn't make any If we both get on the plane, it doesn't make any difference. Either the plane is going to get us there, the plane and the pilot are going to accomplish the goal, and we're going to make it there safely, or we're not. And the level of faith that we have in that plane or that pilot doesn't really matter. What matters is the object of that faith, and this is the case for us, and our walk with Jesus. What matters is the object of our faith. It's Jesus. It's, it's, so it's not, oh, I've got to gin up, just get enough faith. No, no, it is, is he faithful? And if he is, and we tr- turn to him and we trust in him, then the promise is, well done, my good and faithful servant. Salvation is offered to us. Forgiveness of sin is offered to us. And, and, and we see this even with Moses, with all of these in the, the hall of faith, right? With all of the, the characters of the Old Testament, they're all kind of terrible in, in different ways, right? Moses is not this guy, he's had it all together his whole life. He's impatient, he's impetuous, he's a murderer. That's how his uh, story, very early on in the story, right? It, it, he, he is not a just be like Moses. Please don't read any of the Old Testament like that. The only person that we see that's fully be like him is Jesus. So God is working through their faith. They are examples of faith. And we could say the same about um, the others mentioned here, that their faith is in the one who saves. They, They don't accomplish it. They don't earn it. We look and we turn to him and we trust in him and he is faithful. The second point is, as we trust in him, as we rely on him, is that there is this active picture of faith here. So the seven mentions of by faith, they they lead to action. But the point is that they're rooted in God and what he has done and who he is. So that those realities of God and his love and his affirmation and his care for us, they do then push us, they draw us, they, they encourage us. They are the foundation that allow us to go out and live differently. They affect us. If, if these things are true, then our, our lives are different. There is an active measure of our faith. But it is not, to be clear, that order absolutely matters, right? The faith in him and his work leads to a different life. 
a different life or serving him or doing the things that he might call us to, those are never the things that earn us his favor and his love. We can't. So we see that this act of faith is lived out of a trust and foundation in his love and care and salvation of us. How does it play out here in this passage? Well, the first thing that we see is, is that it plays out in, in sometimes really mundane ways. Just ordinary, basic ways, right? Just ordinary life. We're, we're getting some of the highlights, right? Moses is this seminal character in the redemption of the world. Uh, he, he plays this really important part. Not only in history itself, but he is actually used by God to to write the first five books of the Bible, God's revelation of himself to us. Moses is incredibly important. And uh, and yet, we even in his story find this mundane picture. I I would be interested to know how many people, you don't have to answer this, but uh, do you know the names of Moses' parents who are really referred to here in verse 23? You know the names of Moses' parents. I I actually... I've been to seminary, I've read the Bible multiple times, you know, I, I didn't remember their names. They're, they're mentioned once in the genealogy of Moses in Exodus chapter 6. It's, if you're looking for uh, kids' names, Amram and Jochebed. So, some quality names for your kids. Amram and Jochebed. But I, I didn't remember that either, right? We don't remember his parents. They lived a long life of faith. They're referred to in their faith. But they're not remembered all these years later. We think about Moses himself. Like there's some significant events that are going on here. The Exodus happens when he's 80 years old. 80 years old. And he's, he had left Egypt and the, and the riches of Egypt when he was 40. So he lived a lot of years. A lot of years of just regular life. Mundane life, right? We, we, we often think that the answer for us is to be re- remembered, to, to, to have an impact of, of, that would survive past our, our, our death. And, and it may. On some level, it certainly will, we will, our impact will survive past our death. But for most people, not long past our death. I mean, in the scope of history, not long at all, even if it's multiple generations, right? And, and what we find is that's not a bad thing. Mundane, ordinary, everyday faith as we live our lives, care for our family, do our jobs. Like, this is good and right and beautiful. So yes, we find some really significant things here. Hard choices that, uh, that Moses faces. And those are significant, particularly for him. And, and yet, what we find more often in Scripture is just these pictures of mundane, ordinary, everyday life of faith, of trusting in God. That's what we're really most often called toward. But in the midst of that, which is even really a part of the mundane, there will be moments where we're faced with difficult choices. We're faced with with hard things, things that push against maybe what we desire or what seems best in the moment. But the hard choices that we're faced with The question is, are they flowing from our faith in him, our trust in him, that that he is the one who has poured out his love and his affirmation on us so that we then might make decisions in light of that. And the, the significant verse here, again, is verse 26. He considered 
So if, if, again, just a reminder of the story, he was adopted by Pharaoh, like the wealthiest, richest family in the world, and he has all the benefits of, of being a part of that. And that would have to be incredibly tempting. I mean, imagine that, that we're offered, like, you, you get the, the, like the top half a percent, right? Like, you, you get the yachts, and you get the nice houses, and beauty everywhere, and the money to, to fix anything that's broken, that this is on offer to you, right? That, that would be tempting. I mean, there, there are oftentimes, I want, I want more, right? I, I would love to take that vacation. I'd love to spend time on, I don't know why yachts keep coming to mind, but you know, I, I, I want the good and the beautiful and the easy. And I, it's, it, we want that, right? And he turns away from that. Because he says, the, the writer of Hebrews here says that he considered the reproach of Christ. And so that's clear, the reproach of Christ. Remember the Hebrews, they are experiencing the reproach of Christ. They're being persecuted. They've already joyfully experienced the plundering of their property. That's like not what we're looking for when we come to Jesus often. We, we want the American dream. They joyfully accepted the, the plundering of their property. We know from the next chapter that they haven't yet suffered to the point of death but maybe they will. So things are a struggle, reproach of Christ. And he chooses that over the riches, we know, greater than the wealth than the treasures of Egypt that he was looking for the reward. And then we see in verse 25, and we go back a verse that, well, I'll go to 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So he's got this choice. What what decision is he going to make? And he chooses the thing that seems just so clearly, particularly in, in our culture, the wrong decision. Why would you do that? Why would you give up the, those pleasures and that happiness and that fulfillment and instead, choose the thing that's difficult. Why, why would you do that? And, and he does it because he is looking for the reward, that thing to come. That is ultimately, we know, ultimately only fulfilled in the resurrection that promises a life beyond this. But it does say it has implications for now. And to be clear, let's not say if you follow Jesus and do all the right things, things are going to go great. Everything's going to be easy, and you're, you're actually going to get all the promises that you want. Sometimes sin is pleasurable. That, that's the, the picture. Sometimes sin is easier. Like, to make that decision that is logistically hard, financially hard, that is uh, giving up those things that we want, that, that can be a difficult thing to do. And yet what we find here is faith draws us to something different. But it's a part of the story that what we're called to is better. And we don't see that now. Or sometimes we do and we ignore it. I gave this example, actually, with the men's gathering on Friday night. That day for lunch, I uh, was eating a taco salad. I chose the taco salad. I thought, marginally healthier, right? I don't know that it was even that. I mean, I, don't, I think there was lettuce on it, but not much. It was delicious, and there was a point in the middle of eating that taco salad that I thought, uh, and just ever so briefly, I pushed out the thought pretty quickly. If, if I finish this taco salad, 
In about an hour, I'm going to wish that I hadn't finished the taco salad. But it's delicious now. I've, I've finished the salad. And about an hour later, I was like, I shouldn't have finished the salad. I mean, we do it all the time, but there's some sense in which that's, that's silly. But it, it also can get to, like, significant issues of appetite and, uh, you know, um, uh, making wise decisions and self-control and all those kind of things, right? So, uh, but that's just like one example that we do all the time. Like we know uh, what ultimately is going to be better, or we know in our heads, but it doesn't play out in our, our hearts. And, and we're constantly making these decisions about what's the best thing for, for the future. What's the best thing for me in, in the moment? And what we're invited into is sometimes what, what is difficult, Giving up something that we might want, the pleasures of sin, and we could just fill in the blank there. I'm not going to fill in all those blanks. Or uh, the reproach of Christ, following him, which, again, is ultimately better because it's the promise of the reward. We're constantly living in light of what is to come, whether we recognize it or not. And sometimes we value that. So this is a fascinating quote from uh, Kevin O'Leary, one of the guys on Shark Tank. Uh, And this was a tweet uh, from Kevin O'Leary. He says, you may lose your wife. You may lose your dog. Your mother may hate you. None of those things matter. What matters is that you achieve success and become free. Then you can do whatever you like. Now, there are so many things going on here, right? So many. But he's living towards something. And I, I think he is super mistaken in thinking that freedom is actually losing all of those things. He's actually binding himself to something else, right? But there is regularly this recognition that we have to sacrifice in order to get something else. And, And what we're invited into in this passage and in all of Scripture is we're invited into something better, And it is eternally better. Resurrection power, that reward that is on offer, is better than anything that we could find here. And so we're we're put in a position of asking, do we take the distractions, do we take the sin seriously? Or or often what we do with this is we don't even really want to engage with what might be unhelpful, with what might be sin, you know, we'll give the, the words on Sunday morning, the confession of sin, but we're maybe like me eating the taco salad, the thought popped in my head. I don't really want to dwell on it, though. I just kind of move on. So I don't really want to think about what God's word might say about a particular area in my life, whether it's my finances or my uh, sex life or my, uh, my time and how I spend it and if I'm wasting it or not, all these kinds of things, right? And so we just, we'd rather be distracted by uh, Netflix or Instagram or other things. So it's just easier, right? So we don't think about these realities. I think we are invited to, to take it seriously because what, what is on offer, again, is better. It is a God who is inviting us into his family as his sons and daughters and offering us that reward, which is resurrection power that is, well done, my good and faithful servant, You are freed from all of the brokenness. So we're going to be faced with these moments. We're regularly faced with these moments, in fact. And the question is, what drives our decisions? Is it pursuing him 
Is it what makes me most happy, what's most comfortable? Or do we even take the time to think about those things? Because, again, Jesus is offering himself. And Jesus is the creator. We go all the way back to Hebrews chapter 1. He is the creator. He's the one who made us. He knows what we're created for. And he's inviting us to flourish in relationship with him, in relationship with one another. And he has done everything necessary that that might happen. And he's inviting us to trust that that's true, that he's done it, and that he will continue to work in our lives in order to offer us that which is best, him, relationship with our creator in perpetuity, forever, eternally. He's invited us into that. Let's pray.